Good morning once again. It's good to be with you in this kind of capacity. I feel like I have to mention this every time, but I, I love to hear your voices as we sing together uh, every, every Sunday. It, it is a wonderful thing, and so I'm always kind of freshly charged when we look to this kind of thing. Well, we are three weeks into our 12-week study through Exodus. Uh, we are this, this study, Lord willing, should take us right up to the Advent time of year, where we begin that, that kind of sermon series as well. And so we are again on, on week three, and the title of the whole series as a whole, we've given it, it's called Deliverance. We've not made a whole lot of overt references to that, but it's a pretty good umbrella term to summarize what we find in the book of Exodus, right? It centrals, the central theme there is God's people and God just, just over and over again acting miraculously uh, on their behalf, right? Delivering them time and time again. So that's our main theme as we move forward. This morning, we're going to be in Exodus 11 through 13. Don't worry, we're not going to be pouring over every single verse of these three chapters through Exodus, but we will read some. We will be getting our noses there, so I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. I'll, I'll be there. We'll be, we'll be there together, even as I access my dusty old Alexandrian here. A little bit of a joke for those who are here with us on Wednesday evenings. Side note, if you haven't been coming on Wednesday evenings to the Bible study, you are missing out. I mean, I'm over with the kids, but I've been listening back to the recordings, and I've just been very encouraged. Uh, Pastor is walking through, currently, the, the, the study is how we've come to get our Bibles as we know them. So if that has any interest for you, I encourage you to be there. I've been encouraged even through listening back through them. So as we're in Exodus 11 through 13, and really as with any portion of the Bible, we want to be on the lookout for, for uh, Christological signposts or Christ connections, things that are in this area of Scripture, even if it's Old Testament, that direct our hearts and eyes to the person of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, uh, the gospel, these type of themes. We want to be sensitive and always reading and pursuing to try to find these and discover them and be blessed and see what God has for us to know now. We recognize this as the eternal word of God. His plan carries through. Now, that's not something we just make up. Uh, Christ himself expects us to do so. If we recall uh, the account where Jesus meets with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? He, he reveals himself to them. They didn't realize it was Jesus. And it says at the end of that encounter, as they were walking along the road, this is what Jesus himself, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so so. Exodus. Here we go. There is a means that we are to be looking in Exodus, seeing a direct connection to Christ, things concerning himself, is what Jesus himself says. So he expects us to do that as his followers. This is not... Ooh. We were afraid that was going to start happening. All right. We'll see. We'll see how we go. That may happen more. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, We'll see. So he expects us to do this, is, is the, the point of, of sharing that verse. We are to look for connections to Christ. So that's what we're going to, Lord willing, see this morning. We understand that God's plan for salvation, to send Jesus, of course, uh, was set since eternity. Uh, certainly since the beginning of uh, the dawn of time and space as we would understand it here, but we know that it has been in place since eternity. And we would see the first inklings of such in Genesis 3.15, 
I don't have that on the, the screen here, but we know that right directly after the fall, when mankind sinned, God immediately, even as he's uh, addressing the serpent, we see the first glimpse of a, a messianic prophecy there in the end of Genesis 3.15, when he's cursing the serpent, saying, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, referring to the seed uh, that would come generations and generations later. There would be this, this coming of a Messiah. We see that as early as Genesis 3.15. And that would be probably the earliest Christ connection to make in an Old Testament text. So this, this pointing us towards Christ is coming, a Messiah is coming. In our portion of Exodus today, I believe we're going to see what would be maybe the quintessential Christ connection in the Old Testament. In fact, all of Exodus really as a whole could probably be described as such, but today we get to see quite a big one and I'm excited. Through the rest of Genesis, if we see that prophecy made, then through the rest of Genesis, we see God preserving and protecting his people, right? Through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, generation upon generation upon generation, God is preserving, protecting his people. And consistently, the resounding message is for God's people to trust in the God of their forefathers, trust this God whose promises cannot be shaken. That's the resounding message over and over again, even in the earliest of this, of this portion of Scripture. Uh, consider the words, the Lord, Lord's words to Jacob, right, down the line of generation, his words to Jacob when he changes his name to Israel. He, he says this in Genesis 35, 11 through 12. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. That's that theme. This considered, you have God's people that have been chosen, protected, and preserved with this promise to be fulfilled. Then, of course, through Jacob's son, Joseph, uh, God provides a land of plenty, namely Egypt, when it was needed. When the famine struck, God provided for them, this nation that they were to go to and live. And so God was providing and preserving. Yet, as we've seen, we are now three weeks into Exodus here in these early chapters. Uh, Exodus opens up with God's people now enslaved in the land of Egypt. They're enslaved for, really, they've been enduring this abuse for over 400 years, which is uh, an astounding amount of time to be enduring suffering. So then the question as we go, has Almighty God abandoned his people then? Spoiler alert, no. That's the understanding, of course. But that's the question that's going to be on our hearts as we see it. And as we saw last week, God has begun really placing in motion his plan to free his people, namely through uh, these plagues that would come upon the wicked nation of Egypt. Plague after plague, that was, as we saw, Pastor Raymond walked us through last week there, but they were targeting specific uh, false gods, even, of the Egyptian community there. So God is beginning this, this time now of bringing his people into freedom, again, out of the land of Egypt and slavery here. So that's where we are picking up. We're going to see this final plague here, as well as the Passover. You saw there on the title screen, I don't have a fancy title for the sermon, but we're dealing with the Passover event here this morning, and we're going to see kind of this, this crucial moment in Israel's history and redemptive history as a whole. So number one, I've got, I've got three total uh, points this morning. I tend to do that. Number one that we're going to see, I, I hope, God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. When you hear that phrase, 
what, what comes to mind, uh, right, when, when, for you? I'm, I'm just, I wonder, I know for, for me, when I hear this kind of thing, oh, God's timing is perfect timing, I, I tend to think of, like, prayer requests, maybe, that things that I've been praying for, needs or, or, or burdens, maybe, that I've been praying for for X amount of time. And my thought is like, man, I just, I would love to see the Lord move A, B, or C in some sort of way. Um, yet the understanding, right? Oh, no, no, God's timing is perfect. And that's 100% true all the time. We, we don't refute that. But this also connects and, and relates to enduring suffering. When we're enduring long-term trial or difficulty, pain, um, God's timing is still perfect, even for allowing this to occur. No doubt, the Israelites as a people were crying out to God in the midst of slavery and abuse and and all the horrible things that goes with this bondage. I mean, 400 years is a long time. Uh, Another thing, I think Pastor used the example of of Jamestown being founded in our country right around 400 years ago or so. So that's kind of that picture in our heads, that span of time to just be generation upon generation there under slavery. And no doubt they're crying out to God, yet God is not absent. His timing is still perfect. In his eternal wisdom and sovereignty, God had allowed this in his life of his people. We, we, we can't refute this. We know this to be true, even as sometimes our hearts and minds butt against it. Uh, Exodus 11, verse 9, gives us a little glimpse here to give us some, some of that, 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 even as we have the mystery of God's sovereignty and wisdom. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that, or because, what? why won't he listen? Because that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So part of the intent was that Egypt would see the wonders of the all-powerful God moving in the midst of their nation, powerfully so. Now, however, after such a long span of time, the time had finally come for God's people to be, to be delivered, for God to deliver them through his intentional plan. So let's, uh, let's read in your Bibles. Turn to Exodus uh, 11 here, that's where we'll, we'll start reading. We'll read 1 through 10. And again, this is long form. There's Old Testament here. It's narrative. So I encourage you as we read, just really, uh, it really helps, at least for me, when I'm listening to also be reading along. If I just listen, I tend to zone out. So I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. But let's read Exodus 11, starting in verse 1 to see what's going on here. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague will I bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people, that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. I'm on verse 4. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. Verse 7, not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. 
Verse 10, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So God has endured the rebellion and wickedness and abuse of the nation of Egypt upon his people for all these years, and the time has come now for judgment, condemnation, righteous judgment, even as it is sobering for us. A couple things to note, though, from this, as we've seen. A couple things to note. God's intent and purpose here behind this judgment. His purpose here, you see there, right, right in verse 1, the intent is to bring them out. It, it, is, it is not uh, uh, spiteful on God's behalf. His intent is to bring his people to freedom through this. Right? That, that's the intent there in verse 1. It's, it's I'm going to bring these uh, places, what? Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. The intent is once, once this comes about, it's... God's goal is to have them be free. Secondly, we see God's love and care for his people. God's love and care for his people there in verse 7. If you read over it quick if you miss it. But verse 7, to what end he says, it says, Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast. There we have the word that again, like to what reason? Because, or so that, you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. There's a distinction in God's heart for his chosen people. Even though it may, they may have lost sight of that, it may not have felt like it in that moment, but it's true that there is. Uh, in love, God had chosen them out of all the nations to be his people. To, again, as we saw at the beginning, to preserve, to protect, and to fulfill his promises. Uh, later on in our Bibles, at a time when they are actually referencing the Exodus as a whole, as it's already happened, this, this victory in Egypt, they're referencing back. Notice this in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Again, you can turn there if you like. Chapter 7, Deuteronomy 7, I don't have it on the screen. Uh, 6 through 8 here. Notice this summary uh, that, that uh, God gives. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." So, again, spoiler alert, we're seeing some future looking back to this moment, of course. Now, anytime you try to illustrate the character of God or his nature, uh, every illustration is going to fall short at some point in God's, again, magnificence. But bear with me, parents, there is a difference in the way you care for your kids compared to everybody else's kids, right? There's just, there's just a little bit of a difference. You're definitely going to say, I, I, yeah, I care and I love for everybody, especially in the church family, sure. But even in those layers, there is like, perhaps right, a set of expectations maybe for your kids that you're not going to have that same expectation maybe for someone else's kids around you. But on the flip side, if your children are in danger or in a struggle or something painful has come up, you're going to go to bat for your kids in a way that you're not going to do for anybody else. There's a distinction in your heart for your children amongst everything else. And that's right. That's good. I would even say that's a reflection of the image of God in your heart, but it's present. So again, I know it's a flawed analogy ultimately, but that's this kind of idea. God is saying, hey, I'm going to act on this behalf. I'm going to go to bat for you, (laughs) nation of Israel perhaps, because there is a distinction. That you may know you are distinct in my heart compared to the other people around. 
Now, we are going to see at the end some tie-ins to our realities of Christ, but even already, uh, just, a, just a foreshadowing there, if we recognize that we are also God's people, we've been grafted into God's chosen people, and so we would understand even at this early type of, of moment that God cares for us. If we are in Christ, we are child, children of God, and he cares for us in that same distinction, which is wondrous to consider. So we've seen, number one, that God's timing is perfect. They've been enslaved for so long, yet God is now, the time has now come to have victory to be brought forth, to be delivered. We've seen nine plagues so far, emphasizing God's care for his people, of course, and yet we're going to see this final plague. The next thing I'd like us to see, that I hope we see from this account in Exodus, number two, is that God's deliverance is complete. God's deliverance is complete. Uh, other terms could maybe fit in there. God's deliverance could be, could be, could be full. His deliverance um, could be uh, uh, absolute or total. But I, I like complete. It really summarizes this idea that God's deliverance is complete. It's, it's thought out fully and completely. Nothing God does is random, thoughtless, or, or reactionary. God has established it since the beginning. So his deliverance is complete in every regard. So God gave the Israelites specific instructions for how he was going to bring about this deliverance. Namely, how they would be protected from this final plague of the death of the firstborns that was going to take place in the Egyptian households. So let's continue. If you have your Bibles open back to Exodus, let's continue into chapter 12 here. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1, we'll read through, again, just verse 13. We won't go through everything, but, but 12, 1 through 13 gives us the, the concepts going on here. <clears throat> starting in verse 1, chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household, And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. Verse 10. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet. Your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the term Passover, then, is pretty straightforward. The understanding is that God would pass over the households of the Israelites 
in this, this final judgment, bringing death upon the firstborn to all who were not covered, again, by the blood here in their households. Central to the Passover ritual, then, of course, is the slaying of the lamb. The lamb is killed. Then you have the, the spreading of the blood, of course, on the doorposts, and then the eating of its meat. All, all three of those tenets are, are intentionally set, and there's instruction for each part of this. Um, you may have picked up on the similarities to the sacrificial system that would come later. Just, I don't know if, if that's kind of where your mind went, but it might have gone there. Because remember, this is before the priests of Aaron had been set up and the whole system of sacrifices for sins. This is prior to all of that. Yet, we're seeing some inklings and kind of hints at the way God tends to move and act in these areas, which, again, interesting to see. What do you know? It's a cohesive message from God. It's cool to see these little details here as we go. And this is intentional from the Lord, these instructions. Let's, let's walk through, just real briefly, let's walk through the elements of the Passover as commanded by God uh, and make some observations for, again, edification, I, I pray and hope. So uh, we see there in chapter 12 what we've just read. Each family was to take a lamb or goat to be slain on behalf of their household. So this was to be done, and, and, and the, the effect would be for everybody to, to take part in this process, right? Whether it's, it's within your household uh, or, or you're the head of the household. Either way, it's, it's affecting everybody in the Israelite community, in God's chosen people. Uh, key verse there would be verse 5, surely. The idea that with the lamb, the, the baby goat or baby lamb, was to be without blemish. And again, that part of that reasoning there is, is uh, that's going to come into play in prophecy fulfillment for, of course, Jesus Christ, as we will see. Yet, at the very least, there's this idea that, that this was to be something, uh, an important item for this family. It was not like you couldn't sneak through and bring your, you know, your gimpy old uh, uh, lamb. <laughs> you bring something that was valuable, of value to you for this sacrifice. Because it was indeed that. In fact, we're going to see that in a moment. It was indeed a sacrifice. You just got to let it work it out, you know? Eating of the sacrificed meat was also the next kind of portion of what was happening here. Again, everybody was participating there. We see that in verse 47. And there's intentional instruction even here, even in the eating of the meat. It's to be roasted, not boiled. Uh, The bones must not be broken. Again, that will come into play when we see the prophecy fulfillment of Christ. And the remaining meat in the morning was to be burnt up. There we see in verse 10. Again, intentional in every respect. God has instruction and intent behind each of these steps. His deliverance is complete, is what we are seeing, I hope, in the midst of these. Now, surely in my mind, the most memorable aspect of the Passover ritual is the, the, the spreading of the blood upon the doorposts of the home, right? It's a very visceral picture. At least there's, there's not a lot of things or opportunity in my life where I'm spreading, spreading blood of anything anywhere, frankly. So that would be memorable, and it sticks out to my mind, at least, to picture Let's check out Exodus 12 again, down in verse 7 and verse 22. We see some, some observations here. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel and the houses in which they eat it. So again, it's spread over the doorposts. I'm sure many of you are remembering pictures from Sunday school as a kid, right? The, the flannel graphs is what I'm picturing every time with these things. But yes, it's spread on the doorposts. 22, it's interesting. We see hyssop is involved. I'm going to mention that in a moment. That's that scene in verse 22. It says, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. 
So again, spreading across the doorposts of the home as a representation that the blood then is, is over this household. So <clears throat> I think three little, little aspects that are significant there to the shed blood on the homes here. It functions as protection. We see that in verse 13 and 23, right? That, that the Lord is looking and where the blood is present, then the Lord passes over. Death will not find that household. So it's an it's a aspect of protection um, verse 22 there, the usage of, of <clears throat> excuse me, hyssop, that plant, is associated with purification. So it, it, is, it is, has significant for the idea of protecting them, but it's also a purifying aspect to have this blood of the unblemished lamb spread across for this home. But ultimately, really, number three, it's a consecration role. It consecrates, it sets them apart. <clears throat> the Passover meal really uh, closely parallels a lot of elements to the, the priesthood and the sacrificial system. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. And there's this understanding that the families, the households that take place, all the Israelite families did this, this was setting them apart as God's people. And so then we're back to those same themes of distinction and God choosing his people, right? It's, it's amidst all the Egyptians, this action was a consecrating one. It would set them apart as holy before God. Summary so far then, Israel's time in Egypt has culminated to this moment. We've seen that God's timing is perfect, even as they've endured suffering. His deliverance is complete. He's made this plan for their deliverance that would involve this final plague of judgment upon the wickedness of Egypt, yes, leading to victory and freedom for his people. The Passover itself, I believe, reflects God's holiness and perfection. So we're seeing already this, this concept that would come into play as the rest of the Old Testament would play out, the shedding of blood as atonement for sin and the protection for his people. That's a theme we're going to see later on as we go through Scripture, of course. Uh, it also reflects his holiness and perfection in that you have this condemnation and judgment upon the wickedness of Egypt. That's, we, we can't run from that reality either. We saw that even as, uh, where, where was that, in verse... Yeah, in verse 12 and 13 especially, you see, in 12 and 13 you see both sides. 13 shows us that, hey, it's, it's setting apart Israel, yes, but even in verse 12, it says, I will strike, this is the Lord speaking, I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments, I am the Lord. So that's just that, that this, this Passover and this whole event is reflecting God's holiness and his power, his perfection, his righteousness. <clears throat> We also see that God intended for Israel to mark this occasion. This was to be uh, uh, an event marked each year. This Passover meal was to be repeated as a, as a kind of memorial, a, a reminder of what God has done. Notice back in, in, in 12 there, let's look at, um, well, verse 14 first in chapter 12. This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. In 24 and 27, I love, I love uh, this generational aspect here that, that uh, God gives. Let's look at, let's look at uh, 26. Uh, let's start there. It says, When your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. 
So see that generational focus? It was to be a memorial that even the kids would be asking. What, as, as they grow up and the new generations are rising up, they're saying, what, why do we do, we do, do we do this? The older generation can witness and say it's because of what God has done in the past. We look and remember. We look and remember. Truly, the exodus of God's people out of Egypt, really, I mean, the, the Passover event is kind of the, the central moment, yet all of the book of Exodus, really, this is pretty much the redemptive moment in the Old Testament, like kind of, kind of the ultimate redemptive moment that we see prior to Christ. So, by way like, of example, in, in our day now, everything we, whether it's interpreting scripture or, or sharing uh, the gospel or, or speaking of things of the Lord, it centers on the cross of Christ, and rightfully so. That's, that's our central point. But before Christ came, the exodus, the, 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 the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, that would be kind of their redemptive moment they would always be referencing. This was, a, this was the most significant redemptive event in the Old Testament, I, I believe. The Old Testament is stuffed with references to these moments, the exodus from Egypt, which is interesting. I mean, just a, a real fundamental basic word search, I found 86 verses that referenced such and such of like uh, saying things like, um, just as the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt. Right, something like that. There'll be a reference where they'll tag it and they remember what God has done all throughout the Old Testament. I'm not going to read, I had a few examples, I'm not going to read them for now for the sake of time, but they are there. If you're curious, I could send you the list, but it's cool to see. A lot, a lot of verses that reference this. And so again, God's deliverance is complete, his holiness is upheld, his people are delivered, his glory is on display here as we see it. However, of course, it's more. For us, we don't look at this and see, oh, that's cool for the Israelites. Back to the beginning, remember, we are looking for Christ connections, what, what drives us to Jesus as we see it here in the text. And no doubt, most of you have already been making a lot of these connections in your minds. Uh, and that's good. It's good to be gospel minded, to see these, uh, again, just these lines point to Christ. But so far, we've seen uh, God's timing is perfect, His deliverance is complete. And finally, this morning, I think we see that God's salvation is anticipated. God's salvation is anticipated. Consider some of these connections then to Christ. I have a few sub-points for us, uh, and then we we will pray and wrap up. But if we consider this picture of the Passover specifically and the exodus of God's people, Christ is the one who accomplishes our exodus from sin and judgment, right? He delivers us from the penalty that we deserve in our sin, right? Christ brings us into the promised land of eternal life and presence in his presence forevermore. There's that delivering aspect of what Christ has done. Um, I didn't harp on this too much, but even back to this whole distinction concept, right? We know from texts like Ephesians 2, if we are in Christ, we have been chosen, his beloved, his adopted children. That has been, there is a distinction between us and the rest of the world as well through Christ. But these aren't just external tie-ins that we can make, because it's cool to see them, but it's made in God's word itself. So 1 Corinthians uh, 5 verse 7 Right in the midst of instructions to Christians now. This is after Christ. Uh, The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is giving instruction. And he references this this, this key concept. In their instruction to, to live in obedience, he says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. Now, to what end? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So just like that, the connection is made. Intentionally so. 
eternally so. Again, according to God's plan, Christ has fulfilled then what we've seen in Exodus. Christ is our Passover lamb and he has been sacrificed, so there's no longer a need for more. Praise the Lord. Of course, resulting in his resurrection. So as we wrap up this morning, I have three quick ways that I think the Passover is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And I'm sure there's, there's more here, but three that we could see. And I mentioned it here, number one, Christ delivers us from the bondage of sin and death. So the same concepts we see here that are laid, the foundation is laid, Christ delivers us from the bondage of sin and death, just as the Israelites were delivered from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. A couple of verses for us to see this, Romans 6, 6 through 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There's our concept, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What a wondrous reality. So no longer is there this need for repeated sacrifice. What Christ has done, we are now adopted as sons and daughters of the Lord. Number two, we are delivered we then, so similar similarities and fulfillment of the Passover, we are delivered by the sacrificial death and shed blood of Jesus. Right? Those tie-ins, I'm sure, were occurring to many of us already, but it's wonderful to see. So just as the sacrificial lamb or baby goat atoned for the Israelites, so too now, in Christ, we are delivered, our sins have been atoned for by the sacrificial death and shed blood of Jesus. Again, verses for each of these. First Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. All right, the death is in our place. Sacrifice for us. Revelation 5, 9, notice this. This this speaks even to the eternality of God's plan. This has been in place even since the, the plan for the end of time and the beginning of time. It says, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Lord Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's King Jesus. Finally, the Lord's Supper is our memorial then to this. So the Lord's Supper, when Christ uh, uh, instituted that for the church to follow after, it was done through a Passover meal there with the disciples in in the upper room there. Uh, And so our pattern then for us as followers of Christ, uh, the, the, right, if we if remember the Passover was meant to be something passed on to each generation, right? They were to reference us when they celebrated the feast every year. Uh, likewise, whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's to be a reminder of what Christ has done. So now we've come full circle. So if the Old Testament, the Passover is the, and the Exodus is the redemptive work of the Old Testament, the cross then is the redemptive work of all scripture that points us to Christ. And the Lord's Supper is a way that we are to, to reflect back and recall and remember what Christ has done. So as monumental as the Passover is in this moment for Israel, and it's incredible to see, it is and ought to be pointing us over and over again to Jesus Christ. We're going to sing in just a moment. So musicians, you guys can come on up and get ready for this here. And as we do, I encourage you to reflect on this. Right? As we sing, this is not a time to uh, try to fill out and, and disconnect. 
I encourage you to reflect on what we've seen. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, God has, has, uh, has worked on your behalf. He's chosen you. Reflect on that. Maybe, I don't know what this week has looked like, but if you need to reflect and repent, do that while we sing. And if you have never placed your faith in Christ, God has moved graciously to bring you here to a moment where you can hear what it means to, to be a Christian, to repent of your sin, to turn to Christ in faith. And if you have any questions, you can find one of us as well. But again, I encourage you to use this time. Uh, go ahead and stand and we'll sing. And appropriately, so our song, uh, I believe, is nothing but the blood. Let's sing together this, this morning.